don't know about you, but I've loved having a bunch of kids up here this morning leading us in worship. How about you? Good? It's good stuff. So Alpha does start tonight in the garden room. If you haven't signed up or didn't get a chance to, you're still welcome to come. Just show up. You can come try it out one day if you want and then say, I'm, I'm out and leave. It's okay. Come get a taste of it and, and move on. It's up to you. All right? And we're going to preach now. We're in this series on faith, the, the steps fallen, adopted, intentional. This is intentional part two today. Greg is not here, so I'm doing intentional part two. All right? So that's what I've been assigned. So here we go. We're going to go up these steps of faith. Right? So I'm going to pray. Let's pray and we'll get started today. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we open your word with great expectation. We know that in there, there is something for us. There's a word that you want to speak to us. So this morning, Lord, we pray that your spirit would make clear to each one of us in the room what you have for us this morning. your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. So the book of Genesis opens up and there is a, the Holy Spirit is hovering like a dove and the Hebrew word it says over the tohu vavohu, which means chaos, formlessness, meaninglessness, uh, out of order, a mess and the hover, hovering, Holy Spirit is hovering over the tohu vavohu and he speaks to the tohu vavohu and out comes shalom, meaning Form, purpose, wholeness, fullness, peace, shalom. Of course, that only lasts a short time, because pretty quickly thereafter, we know how many days after, the enemy of God re-enters the picture, and he sows again the tohu vavohu, the chaos, the formlessness, the meaninglessness, the mess, the emptiness. And the world is plunged into total chaos. The goal of the enemy, really? He was kicked out of heaven, lost all of his authority there. His goal is to come to earth and usurp God's authority, take over the reign and rule of the earth to grab control from the creator and establish his own reign and rule, the reign and rule of chaos, emptiness, meaninglessness on planet earth. That's his goal. And how does he pull this off? Well, because it's the way God set the planet up in the first place. When God set the planet up, he created human beings in his own image and he gave us four jobs. Be fruitful and multiply, fill and subdue the earth, which is understand it, study it, and then finally, in Genesis we read this. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God gave us the job of co-ruling with him. He said, I'll be the creator and king and I want you to co-rule with me. I want you to rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, the whole thing. You're gonna, we're going to do this together. So when the enemy of God wanted to take control, take authority, usurp God's authority, he couldn't get God to agree to this, but he certainly got Adam and Eve to agree to it. So he presented them with an alternative, and they said, yes, good idea. They took from the tree, and in that decision, they aligned themselves with the enemy and his chaos instead of God and his shalom. And the world's plunged into chaos. That's how he did it. Now, sometimes I think we think 
God is up in heaven wringing his hands going, oh man, I can't believe this happened. I mean, well, what was I thinking? I made this world and now it's all just plunging plunge the chaos. I mean, what was I thinking? This is totally out of my control. I can't believe this. I'm totally surprised. No, God's not surprised. God is God. Before time began, God could already see what was going to happen. So imagine being a God who's going to create the world already knowing what is going to happen in the future. Why would you go through with it? Well, Ephesians 1 helps us with this. Look at this. This is from the message. Long before he laid the earth's foundations, he had us in mind, had settled on us as the focus of his love, to be made whole and holy, shalomed and holy in his love. Long, long ago, he decided to adopt us into his family through Jesus Christ. He thought of everything, provided for everything we could possibly need, letting us in on the plans he took such delight in making. He set it all out before us in Christ, a long-range plan which everything would be brought together and summed up in him, everything in deepest heaven, everything on planet earth. So before time began, before there ever was a world, before there were ever angels and demons, before anything else existed in all of creation, God was up there, God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, making a long-range plan. That would ultimately result in greater shalom, greater good, greater amazingness, greater fullness than could ever be first created on planet Earth. That's a mind-boggling concept. He thought of everything. He thought of everything. Laid it all out ahead of time. The mystery of his will. Now, I don't know that. We could probably almost end the sermon right there this morning. That's a mind-boggling concept. Before anything began, God is looking ahead and he makes a plan and he sees each of us sitting in this room this morning as a part of his plan. He knows we're going to be here because he had us in mind when he made this plan. He had you in mind when he made this plan. He had me in mind. Whoa. Now the question is, how does this plan work? What exactly did it look like? What was required to win our freedom and erase the penalties and restore the rightful ruler? To reestablish God as the authority of the earth, something had to give. Because here's the thing. When Adam and Eve agreed with the enemy, they gave the world over to death and sin. They gave authority to death and sin to reign and rule over people's lives. They gave authority to death to take us out one at a time. So God had to, had to change this, had to grab authority again, but there's rules about how this goes down. Someone had to pay the penalty. Someone had to be the one to pay the penalty. So all the way back in the beginning of Genesis, God starts laying out this plan. He starts giving us these foreshadowing moments. So he makes this covenant with this guy named Abraham, 2000 BC. And he says, I'm going to bless you. You're going to be a blessing. And all the world is going to be blessed through you, Abraham. Through your one decision of faith. And so he makes this covenant with Abraham. And then they cut this covenant and circumcision's involved. And all these things are going down. And in Genesis 15, there's a great conversation between God and Abraham that goes on. Abraham's kind of saying to God, how's this going to work exactly? What's this going to look like? I mean, how are you going to make sure that this really happens? All these promises you're giving me. And this is what God says to Abraham. Check this out. The Lord told him, bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, and a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. So Abram presented all these to him and killed them. Then he cut each animal down the middle and laid the halves side by side. What's going on here? 
Well, God is making a covenant with Abraham. He's going to show Abraham how it's going to work. And Abraham knows exactly what's going on because back in these days, this is how you made covenants. You made a path of blood and you walked through the path of blood. So they're going to lay out these animals. So Abraham lays out the animals cut in half and down the middle there's a path of blood. And the way covenants were made is you linked arms with the person you're making covenant with. You walked through the path of blood together. Basically saying, if I fail to keep my end of the, of the covenant, you can make me like one of these animals. And if you fail to keep my, your end of the covenant, I can make you like one of these animals. We're going to cut this covenant together. But look what happens in Genesis 15. After the sun went down and darkness fell, Abraham saw a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch pass between the halves of the carcasses. So here's the thing. God makes this path of blood. Abraham puts it all out. He puts Abraham over here. And he walks through the path of blood by himself. Basically saying, Abraham, if I fail to keep this covenant, you can make me like one of these animals. If you fail to keep this covenant, you can make me like one of these animals. So all the way back in Genesis, God's already giving us a picture of his plan for redeeming the world. Now this continues all through the Old Testament, foreshadowing, things happening all over again. In the book of Exodus, there's more foreshadowing. In order to get the people out of slavery, God has to put in place this Passover celebration. Do you know what happened at Passover? You were told as a family, if you were a dad, you had to go out in your yard, pick out an unblemished lamb, and you had to bring it into your home on the 10th day of the month, and you had to take care of it for the next four days. You and your family. So imagine your kids, all these kids that are here today, imagine getting to know this lamb, you give it a name, you feed it every day, you pet it, you hang out with it, it sleeps with you in your bed, it's amazing. And then on the 14th day, the whole family goes out in the backyard, takes the lamb out there, and they slaughter the lamb. They shed the blood of the lamb. And everyone in the family immediately goes, ah, oh, but that lamb was our pet. That lamb was our friend. That lamb was someone who really meant something to us. So again, God's giving foreshadowing here. How do you think God felt when Jesus died on the cross? How do you think his heart felt? How do you think his heart broke? So God's helping his people understand this is what it feels like to have to Deal with this problem of sin, this problem of chaos, this problem of authority, the enemy having authority over the world. And then as he delivers his people and they get going into, into you know, further after slavery, he institutes this sacrificial system in the book of Leviticus. Check this out. If you sinned, but you didn't know you sinned, you did it by accident, this is what you had to do. Chapter 4 of Leviticus. If the entire Israelite community sins by violating one of the Lord's commands, but the people don't realize it, they're still guilty. When they become aware of their sin, the people must bring a young bull as offering, as offering for their sin and present it before the tabernacle. So can you imagine this? In order to get the message across that sin costs something, that, that salvation costs something, every day in the temple... People are bringing their lambs and they're being slaughtered over and over again, constantly, 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 blood being shed. But this cannot deal with the real problem. It can't solve the problem. It's only a temporary solution to the problem. And then it continues. Leviticus 16, the Day of Atonement. Here's another passage. When Aaron has finished purifying the most holy place in the tabernacle and the altar, he must present the live goat. 
He will lay both of his hands on the goat's head and confess over it all the wickedness, rebellion, and sins of the people of Israel. In this way, he will transfer the people's sins to the head of the goat, that a man specially chosen for the task will drive the goat into the wilderness. As the goat goes into the wilderness, it will carry all the people's sins upon itself into a desolate land. I really wanted to have a goat up here this morning. Because then you can lay your hands on the goat, because this was the scapegoat. Again, God's foreshadowing for his people, I'm going to take care of this. The scapegoat gets all the sins placed on it, and it goes off into the wilderness and gets, sins get sent away. But this has to happen every year, over and over and over and over. They said at Passover, the smell of blood in the air in Jerusalem was insane. Number of sheep being slaughtered and slaughtered and slaughtered. It's a bloody mess. Now the shedding of animal blood to stave off the death penalty for disobeying God's way only works temporarily. But this system has significant parameters. Here they are. Catch these. First, the animal has to be spotless. Second, the person offering the sacrifice had to identify with the animal. Third, the person offering the animal had to inflict death upon it. When done in faith, this sacrifice provided a temporary covering of sins. The book of Hebrews says it this way. For without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. But we've left one key inside out. In each of these cases, the animal being brought or, you know, to sacrifice is an innocent victim. It's innocent, did nothing, poor animal did nothing to deserve this, but it's just a victim. It's being dragged to the altar and slaughtered as a victim. But that doesn't really deal with sin. Jesus actually came willingly, intentionally to the cross. So I'm going to get this back out again. I've used this before. You've seen this before. If you've been here before with me, let me explain this a different way. So this is us, stained with sin, because of our decision to follow the enemy. Death and sin have authority over us. Death and sin can take us out. They've gained authority over our lives. We deserve this because blood needs to be shed to pay for our sin and our decisions. What does Jesus do? He takes the penalty. Now, if you explain this, sometimes people see this and they think, wait a minute. So God dragged his innocent son and stuck him on a cross? He was a victim? And he just got smashed? That's terrible. What kind of God is that? No. No, God didn't do that. Jesus offered to go to the cross. Jesus went to the cross on purpose. All through the scripture tells us that Jesus intentionally said, Father, I'll take the penalty. You can lay it on me. I'll make things right. I'll do it willingly, on purpose. Look at John 10. I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep, and they know me. Just as my father knows me, I know the father. So I sacrifice my life for the sheep. I have other sheep, too, that are not in the sheepfold. I must bring them also. They will listen to my voice, and there will be one flock with one shepherd. The Father loves me because I sacrificed my life 
so I may take it back again. No one can take my life from me. I sacrifice it voluntarily, for I have the authority to lay it down when I want to and also take it up again, for this is what my Father has commanded. So I don't know if you can picture this, what this took for Jesus to do. This is God of God, light of lights. He could literally zap the enemy and all of the enemy's minions just like that, but he willingly says, I'm not going to do anything. I'm just going to lay down. You can take me out. I'll pay the penalty. I'll take the punishment. Put me on the cross. I'll do it on purpose. I'll do it intentionally. You know, a few years ago, this is many years ago now, my son Joseph was two years old. We, we uh, had some friends who became missionaries in Austria. So we went to visit them for a week. We took our two, four, six, and eight-year-olds on a plane to Austria. Whew. And uh, we visited our missionary friends who were working in the refugee camps up there in Austria um, and hanging out there. So we got there, spent the week with them, maybe 10 days or so, and then, and then it was time to go back. And the morning we were supposed to go back, my friend Kevin, the missionary, he said, well, I'll pick you up at your hotel. So Ben, my oldest son, had run across the parking lot to his friend Luke's house, which is Kevin's son. He had run over there by himself, which left us with Lena, Morgan, Joseph, me and my wife and our luggage. So Kevin came, he pulled up to the hotel door. We loaded all the luggage in the car and um, got the kids in. My wife sat, I remember this, the car, so if this is the car, you know, the driver's seat's here, the passenger seat here, and the back seat's over here. My wife gets in on this side over here. She's, she's down this far side. My daughter, Lena, the next oldest. My daughter, Morgan, and then my son, Joseph. He gets in on the other door, all four in the back seat. Something was said about seatbelts. I said, come on, we're going to black. We don't need seatbelts. Come on. So we started to pull out the parking lot. And as we started to turn right, I looked back and I realized the door next to Joseph had not been shut properly and was swinging open. And my two-year-old son fell out of the car, and the car rolled over his feet. I jumped out of the car, picked up my son, took him to the hospital. If you've seen him walking around, he's fine. He'll, he'll tell you the story. He acts like there was a highway and cars zipping by his head, you know, the whole thing. But it's really not that dramatic. But that day, it hit me. It hit me. That, like, I crushed my own son that day unintentionally. He was a victim of my own stupidity. Can you imagine being God and sitting back and intentionally allowing your son to make that choice to be crushed? Way worse than my son was crushed. Just intentionally letting your son be crushed and watching, knowing you could totally do something about it? I mean, that is crazy. Hebrews says it this way. Every priest goes to work at the altar each day, offers the same old sacrifices year in and year out, never makes a dent in the sin problem. As a priest, Christ made a single sacrifice for sins, and that was it. Then he sat down right beside God and waited for his enemies to cave in. It was a perfect sacrifice by a perfect person to, perf to perfect some very imperfect people. So this morning, as you sit in church here, I, I want you to let it sink in. That Jesus did this on purpose. It wasn't any accident. 
It wasn't like some cooked up thing. This is a long range plan that was cooked up before there ever was a world, demons, angels, the Garden of Eden. God looked forward. He went to his son and said, if we do this creation thing, are you willing to do this? And Jesus said, yes, Father, I am willing. And that's what we all sit here this morning in this place because Jesus said he was willing. And that's why we celebrate this meal because Jesus was willing.